Hello and welcome to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, our weekly discussion on the latest stories regarding the travel industry. My name is Rian and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Agentivity, where we help travel management companies achieve inside growth and control by the effective use of their data. And before I hand over for a quick introduction by Anne and Ash, I just want to mention that we do record this session because it does turn into a podcast. Uh, so just be aware of that they are recording, but we absolutely welcome your participation in the discussion today. So thank you for those joining us in the audience. Anne, um, thank you for joining us. How are you? And can you do a quick introduction? Doing well, very well. Thank you, Rian. Uh, I'm Anne. I'm a consultant in the travel industry and I work together with LeapShift and ExploreTech. It's great to be back here on this Monday. Over to you, Ash. Hello, everybody. My name is Ash and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you all the important updates in business travel in under 15 minutes. You can access it at businesstravel360.com. Additionally, I'm also a vice president of sales at Traxo. And nice to see some familiar faces in the audience once again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the format of this discussion uh, normally starts off with a list of items that I've created on a Friday for that week. And then we add a few extras that's come up since you know then or over the weekend. So I think we'll just kick off uh, right away with one of the stories that surprised me with the most amount of interaction and discussion. That was my post about Eva Airways, who started offering people in their premium economy and economy classes to buy the business class meal but it, it gained a lot of interest and discussion and comments all positive actually people saying this is a great idea and and i know you comment on that story i suspect you you kind of like what they're doing there yes it is a great story really great what they're doing it's brilliant from uh, a marketing perspective it is of course additional revenue it is ancillary revenue and uh, i mean any type of interaction with a customer in that way is just phenomenal so yes very very good move one of the nice things about this conversation that we have every Monday is that we never tend to agree on every, on any one item. So that's amazing. <laughs> so unlike everybody else who thought it was such a great idea, I don't know how great of an idea it is. First of all, all that stuff is not going to fit on an economy seat table. So let's start there. How are you going to place all these items? When it comes in first class, the first class you know, seat back table is literally about maybe 60% bigger or 50% bigger than the economy seat table. So you would have to bring this out one by one. Other thing is that you're limiting it to only 12 in an economy. So can you imagine like the first two rows get the food? Like how do you decide who gets the food first? The other people are sitting there and you're sitting next to somebody and they're having this nice, wonderful meal and you obviously want it, but you can't have it because there's only 12 in economy that can get it. Sooner or later, someone's going to get mad at somebody. <laughs> no, I, I, I have a few suggestions there. And I think my, my, my other suggestion is going to drive you even mad because I, I, do, I, do, I do agree. I think it's going to be tricky for them to get that. I also think about the embarrassment of it. You know, you're sitting next to somebody else who's getting the chicken and ham sandwich and there you are you know, with this yeah. meal. I think that might be a bit of pudding. But um, there's some valid points made. I mean, Sid's made some very good points in the, in the comments saying it could be a great way for an airline to introduce the customer to – you know, what does business class offer, et cetera, and obviously try and upgrade. I mean, I made some comments about this could be a great reward, you know, for somebody. Um, but you're right. There's a, there's the practicality of it, which is a, which is a challenge. How about, Ash, if they have empty seats in business class, that they treat them as a sort of, you know, restaurant in the sky and you can come up there for the meal and then go back to your seat? 
Yeah, once you come for the meal, then you get sleepy and then you fall asleep. <laughs> and you get somebody at the restaurant, right? You have a good meal, you have a couple of glasses of wine, yeah. next thing you know, you're passing out. You just stay there, I know. Okay. You know, whenever anybody comes up with a new idea, it's never the initial idea that's amazing. It's always the one that follows it at a later point. But airlines, they've been always pushed in a, in a negative direction because of their food quality, right? It's always been all the airline food. It's become the the bunt of the jokes, right? And then they pulled all the food away and no one made those jokes anymore because you can't talk about something you don't get. But I think an airline has the ability to take these wonderful meals and maybe sell them in grocery stores where I can go and buy a Eva Airways meal. That's but that's what, yeah, that's what they've done. Yeah. yeah, I think Singapore Airlines and Singapore Airlines were doing that, right? There was somebody else doing um, it as well, yes, where you could do that so mm-hmm. by the yes. craft meal afterwards. Yeah, that has uh, restaurants as well, I believe, as part of their concept. I think it's, I still think it's a great idea. I think it's, uh, and I don't think it's embarrassing for the person sitting, you know, next to you because, I mean, you just say, well, I ordered this. You paid right? for it, I, yes. I, yeah, you paid for it. That's I paid for it. I pre-ordered it. And, mm. and um, you know, that could really incentivize mm. um, others. And you could uh, also, I, I see it as an experiment because you need to start somewhere. Yeah. And um, yes. th- there are airlines who are quite successful with um, meals delivered at the gate as well. And, and they need to experiment and toy different ideas the way I see it. Just kudos to them for doing something different. That's a good point, uh, trying something different. I suspect uh, Ash, they'll figure out a way to make it fit on that small economy class. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm and, sure they um... do. So, next story was from Colin S. He doesn't have a surname on LinkedIn, which is a bit strange. He's just got his you know, surname spelled as Colin S. Um, but he wrote a very good article about the rising price, uh, the global increase in business class airfares. Instead of just posting about it he actually his post was quite analytical about uh, some numbers behind it and and what he thinks is happening etc and the fact that these shifts in pricing coincides with you know rising inflation and fears of recession and um, obviously cash flow in businesses being uh, strapped so very insightful article i didn't view it as um scaremongering or anything like that i think it was very factual people still need to travel they might not be traveling you know at the front of the plane for something to be noted um so and what did you make of that story yeah Yes, it was very well written and and it's excellent when you see something with all the facts and brilliant piece, really. Well, I think there's no surprise, really. We're seeing a lot of airlines actually implementing and introducing premium economy because they realise that's where the demand is going to grow, more so than we even see airlines getting rid of the first class concepts. I think he's spot on in his analysis there. He did say that obviously it, it should be slightly worrying for airlines because this is a good revenue earner for them. But as you point out, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the airlines mm-hmm. are anticipating this as well and preparing for that. Ash, what are your thoughts on this one? Colin's last name is Shunk. So now we know what S stands for. Colin, we were on to you. <laughs> but as far as the airfare is concerned, I mean, yeah, I think this is pretty much in the direction that everybody expects it to be in. The airline industry, unlike other industries, they don't increase their fares very much. I mean, if you look average airfare today compared to 20 years ago, it's almost the same in some cases. And so it kind of is amazing that even though things have evolved and cost of everything has always gone up, but in airfare world, it's always been almost the same. So it's uh, amazing. So yeah, these increases, of course, are the result of the pandemic and other things like that and the recession and all that stuff like you just mentioned, Rian. And so I think this is uh, pretty much expected. It's really interesting when you do, like Ash 
was mentioning. You do go back and look at 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and it's just astonishing, isn't it? So very expected, yes. And then a bit of airline GDS news. So the Air France KLM decision to add the GDS surcharge has once again been postponed. So this is the second time they've postponed this. And this time they're shifting that out to quarter one, 2023. I know what Ash is going to say about this. So Anne, I'll ask you, um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the insight here? I did express this and comment on that post. There's a couple of things I don't understand. I don't, you know, they quote in the article that they have problems with complex refund cases. And this I don't understand because, I mean, why not? All, you know, CAP 33 should be automated. This should work exactly in the same way as it would on their own website. And they should be using web services for this. And then also they mentioned the development of new private fares. And I'm sort of going, what kind of new private fares? Are those fares that are not filed? And via Pico or what's so different about these fares that you can't incorporate them. But then again, I must say that the French market has always been very, you know, it has a lot of exceptions the whole time. You don't think this yeah. is, is, is coming back down to, again, the lobbying by the Business Travel Association and their fear about the ability of the airline to service their customers and, and that sort of thing. And that's pretty much it. What do you think, actually, more to it? Because like you say, those things I mentioned in the article don't make a lot of sense. They so. don't. I would have thought if you introduce these concepts, you have to be well aligned, I would say, with the various organizations to start with. It's all very yeah. strange. So let's see if my thinking was right. Ash, what do you make of the story? I think that this is obviously a combination of multiple factors. You stated some of them already. No amount of lobbying is going to prevent this from happening. They pushed the, uh, the timetable down a little bit. This is an eventuality that we all have to deal with because, as you know, the financial model is broken. Yes. That's correct. It says a lot about the readiness of Air France Galim <clears throat> and, and, and the and the NDC offering. And also, Rian, it says a lot about here we are, it's it's been ten years now. We still don't know whether this is going to be another sort of European you get access to cheap affairs, which I think which both you and I think is pretty meaningless. NDC should be all about progress and offering better content and better services and a better customer experience and, you know, personalized service rather than just a cheaper fare. That's a, my personal opinion, and I, I know you share that. So Yes. Hey, I have a question for both of you. In this article, they say 75% of Air France and KLM's mm. online leisure bookings are processed via NDC-enabled technology. What does oh. that mean to you? Not much. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> that, that could just mean that at some stage in that call center process, uh, somebody mentions you know something that touches mm. an NDC because it just says it's been processed by NDC-enabled technology. So it doesn't mm. say this is an NDC booking pure out, right? It doesn't say that at all. And so therefore, it's very questionable. Could even be that the post-booking process has a retrieval of a view on it, which in, which is done via an NDC channel. So it doesn't actually show you anything about how successful they are in that process, Ash. So if I'm a traveler and I booked on their website, 
and I go on a leisure reservation and I book a seat, is that qualified as a NDC enabled technology booking? That's probably what's happening. Yeah. So you've booked the the booking and the yeah, book okay. the, let's say the mm-hmm. traditional way, and then you add a seat, and that's that portion of it is serviced by an NDC channel. So now they say seventy five percent of it is done. So yeah, that's clasping at straws to get the numbers up, in my view. Is that the way you read it? That it's Air France own, you know, AF dot com that we're talking about. I mean, that's I think not, so. That's, oh, that's, that's not the I way I read it. I read it like. Nope. of their leisure online, so the OTAs booking leisure, uh, that's 75% of those is booking through NDC. Do they actually have NDC on their own website, on AF.com? I doubt it. This is what we can all agree on, is that it's not uh, 75% of the leisure bookings aren't via NDC. And they just take anything and they say, oh, now it's connected to NDC. Therefore, it is part of my 75%. I think one of the things that's going to happen is airlines are going to be forced to try to raise their NDC numbers. And they're going to try to showcase numbers as much being much higher than they really are. And so they're going to take a lot of liberties in order to do that. They're not going to. They are. They are. And, and, and you know, this has been going on for 10 years. I mean, remember, we had the goal of 20% at 2020. And the reality was not that number. But I mean, I have never come across an airline that is on their own PSS actually using NDC. Who is that? And so, you know, as Jorge points out, Mm. this article is about the gap between PR and reality, Ash, and that that should answer your question about that. Yeah, 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 that's true. Good point. So... The last one was actually a very nice article written by Vimal out of Singapore, where he talked about the absolute increase in U.S. consumer complaints. They're standing at 260% above the pre-pandemic level. So people are complaining quite a lot. But what I loved about his article was how he didn't make it travel industry specific or anything like that. In fact, the article doesn't say anything about the travel industry. It's just about you know consumer complaints and how we broke that down into how brands should be aware of common mistakes they make and um, you know how to deal with this sort of thing and be aware of when your customers are unhappy. But I mean, we all are reading about, you know, an increase in uh, in-flight, you know, uh, agitation amongst people and people are obviously generally unhappy, queuing at airports, you know, frustration levels are high. So there's some good messages for him, from him in that article about how Branch could be dealing with this. And I, I know you know Vimal as well, and I think you commented on the article, but he did a good job there, right? He did a very good job. Excellent. It's true. People are expecting better a service and it just astonishes me at times how bad it is. Actually, I myself, I was trying to to look into how do I contact this airline, right? And you just get a phone number and then they said, oh, yeah, you know, your your queue number is what, 105? That's terrible. Ash, any, any thoughts on that? I mean, are you are you in agreement with Vimal about this? And uh, can you know is is it true? You think about the increase in complaints? I think the statistics uh, show that the complaints have increased by I think about one or two percent. It has uh, definitely gone up. This is a little bit of a combination of, of a few things. One of the things is that you have to get educated in travel, right? I see a lot of travelers who just don't know, and I'm not expecting them to know. There are a lot of travelers that just don't know what to do when something happens. And so the airlines need to do a better job of trying to help people. And there are airlines that do a fantastic job for sure. I'll use Alaska Airlines as an example. Alaska Airlines actually proactively solves a lot of their problems before 
people actually start to realize that they have a problem, one of the big things that airlines have always tried to do is to try to establish some sort of a ability to to solve issues before they happen, or to try to touch point as many people as possible. And technology allows you to do all of those things. I think that there are just some airlines that do a really good job. And I would say Alaska is, is one of them that proactively does things that others don't do. Very nice, as opposed to, to Ryanair, right, And it's, it's like Ash is saying. I mean, some airlines do it um, extremely well. And I just love the idea of being proactive and saying, you know, like, like in Alaska's case of, of the 500 miles. I mean, that is the beauty of all of that to, to do something like that mm. proactively. It's, it's brilliant. Why don't we see that more? I looked at an airline website the other day and had to book. And I, I promise you, it hasn't been changed since 2007. And, and that comes back to that 85% of the world's airlines are really unhappy with websites and uh, with their apps. And, and um, those who do it well, of course, they, they, have, um, they have every opportunity. When my banking app is sexier than my airline app, then they really have a problem with the airline, right? My extra story relates to Japan announcing that they will finally reopen in brackets fully. Uh, to tourism in October. It's been very concerning to see how they've been, you know, in brackets again, reopening because it was a, it was a nightmare to go to Japan um, until now. You had to all sorts of restrictions and even talks of people having to escort you on where you walk around and all sorts of stuff. So it's put a lot of people off. Must have hurt them economically dramatically, I would imagine. And so that's, that's a good story um, that Japan is now also uh, opening up and uh, letting people back in. So that's good. Any comments on the Japan? story and ash yeah so for the japan story they are one of the final countries to actually open up they're gonna have a spike in covid cases because for two years they've been closed to the world and now they're finally opening up and like we've all experienced already we've already had our peaks and valleys and when they get that peak get another increase in numbers because people are going to go there and interact with the local population. And so this is going to create uh, concern from my side, because I don't know if the government there is thinking about this being an eventuality or not. And I fear that they might overreact. Very well be the case. Ash. It's going to be um, one to watch for sure. I mean, how long can you stay closed? They, they years... overstayed their closed. Yes, they overstayed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, one caught my attention, and that is Virgin Australia. We're seeing consolidations in Europe now, but so Virgin Australia, they, the losses, $387 million Australian dollars. And there is a talk of a potential merger with New Zealand. This, this article was on Simple Flying, and I thought that's, um, that's an, that was an interesting one. And of course, we, we've seen that happen before, but it was a long time ago. I believe it was New Zealand and ANSET. That is 100 years ago. Well, something's got to be done about Virgin Australia. I think that um, obviously, I mean, as, as the Australian airlines have, have suffered greatly during the pandemic. Um, as we know, I mean, OK, they have, a, they have a domestic market, but, you know, the domestic market was also closed. They li literally shut down the entire country, right? It's not looking all that good for them. And I don't believe it was looking all that great before the pandemic either. And New Zealand is an airline I admire a lot. That would give them a, a network and a route network. Well, Air New Zealand, by the way, just uh, launched their new nonstop flight between Auckland and New York. Yes. yes. 17 the, hours. Yeah, they put a bit of egg on Qantas's face, right? Because Qantas has been you know, talking about that sort of long haul thing and then Air New Zealand just goes ahead and does it. So I don't know if I could sit in a plane for 17 hours. That's a long well, time. 
Yeah, but maybe give me the business class meal, Anne, and they'll call me. The many meals. Yes. <laughs> this week, the Securities and Exchange Commission here in the U.S. has fined Boeing $200 million to settle charges that it failed to disclose to investors problems that the company 737 MAX aircraft had that resulted in the two crashes in 2018 and 2019. So Boeing, during the time when the 737 MAXs were being scrutinized and they were grounded and what have you, Boeing was lying to the public about the reality of that plane. And more importantly, because the Securities and Exchange Commission is involved, they were lying to investors and to the press. Uh, so they fined uh, Boeing $200 million and Boeing has agreed to paying it. And in the former CEO, uh, Dennis Mullenberg, who was the CEO at the time, he has been fined a million dollars. And what the charge is, is that they were they withheld information about the airplane's flight control functions from investors on numerous occasions. And of course, as we know, that both those plane crashes resulted in everybody on board dying. And this was all because of safety problems with the aircraft. So big news on the Boeing front. Is it just me or does that amount to like a slap on the wrist? I mean, that's not massive money for them, is it? No, well, it's massive because this is from a financial perspective, right? It's not from the uh, civil perspective or any other thing like negligence and stuff. So this is just simply SEC saying, hey, you pushed out material to the investors, you lied to them, and you claim that the crashes had nothing to do with Boeing. But in reality, you knew that they did, and therefore, we're going to fine you. So, Okay, fair enough. And I have um, some really interesting space news today. Space news. Are you ready for space oh, wow. news? I missed the audio on that. I should have yeah. prepared the audio for yes. space yes. news. But there we go. Drum roll, drum roll. Yes. Space news. Okay, so yeah, today, sure. by the way, and this is a pretty big deal, NASA okay, has a program called DART. It is the abbreviation for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And so NASA is going to have um, a spacecraft and they're going to intentionally crash the spacecraft into an asteroid to see if this will actually deter the asteroid from the direction that it's moving into. And so they launched this in, in November 2021. And finally, the aircraft is actually close enough to the asteroid. So today at 7 p.m. Eastern time, the actual event will take place and you can watch all of it on NASA TV. They've always been telling us they can shoot these asteroids and meteors out of the sky and it won't be a problem. They're only testing it now. Isn't this a bit late to be testing it? Well, I don't know. It's all in theory until you actually try it and then you realize that your spacecraft is a, is a dud. So what, what is your prediction, Ash? What's going to happen? What's your prediction? I think it's going to work is what I yeah. think because, you know, how cool would that be? So this is the first time this is happening on live TV and the entire world can watch it. Are you sharing the excitement here, Anne? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I'm not going to stay up mm. for this event tonight. It's it's pretty exciting, yes, but it's not that not, exciting. Not, not and I will call you when it's ready on your on your WhatsApp <laughs> to mute your wake phone, you up. Mute your worry. phone. Absolutely. I, I, I'm more worried about what so, happens if nothing happens, if the, the spacecraft just completely yes. disintegrates and the meteor continues or asteroid continues. That's the bit that worries me a bit. So let's hope that yeah. doesn't happen. So there we go. So guys, as always, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for those joining. Uh, this is me signing off. And over to you and uh, see you next week as well, right? See you next week. And thank you, everybody, for joining. Over to you, Ash. For those of you who are joining today's session, please know that we do this every week. And so please tell everybody that you know about this. Chances are that if you had some fun today, so will others. We do make the session available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. You can subscribe to the podcast or search for it on any of your podcast players. And this is linking the travel industry signing off. <laughs>